0: So again, uh, grateful that we are able to come together here this morning uh, to worship our Lord and to hear from His words. Um, I hope you are happy to be here as well. Uh, I'm happy that I am here. But we have to acknowledge the fact that while uh, we are here and we have prioritized coming uh, into God's house on this day, there are many, 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 many. are not here uh, this morning. That there are many, many, many who are not attending church on this very Sunday. And there's a question we could ask. Why do people not attend church? Why do people not come? Why do they not? You might get a wide variety of answers there. Uh, You might hear that um, Church is boring, right? You might get that. Uh, You might get that uh, the services just last too long. Preacher just going on and on and on. Doesn't have any other thing. Uh, You might hear that someone um, might say that they experienced some sort of hurt or trauma uh, in their time when they were at church and they they don't feel the need to... um, to, to come back, uh, you might hear that uh, folks will say, uh, "Oh, well, you know, churches—they're only—they're only in for uh, they're only in for the money; they're only in for the financial gain." So I don't want to be a part of that. Some will say, "I don't like uh, organized religion." Right? When you take religion and you organize it into a church, uh, I don't—I don't want any part of that. Uh, some may say, oh, "Church, you know, aha, my needs aren't getting met." church, so uh, I don't see any need to attend. You might get any, any number of those answers, but I think one of the most common answers that you might hear to that question is, I don't go to church because it is full of hypocrites. It's full of hypocrites. Now, how should Christians respond to such uh, a statement like that? How should Christians respond to uh, an accusation like that? Well, first, I think, uh, we have to start with the fact that we, uh, in many ways, we we have to plead guilty as charged in many respects. Acknowledge that even within the church, There are sinners who are saved by grace, who sin and fall short in all kinds of different ways, including hypocrisy. And the second thing we can do is recognizing that hypocrisy specifically is a sin to which we are particularly susceptible and our Lord Jesus addresses hypocrisy as we saw, uh, was read in, in Matthew chapter 6. If you look at all of Matthew's gospel, that word hypocrite is used more than uh, a dozen times throughout uh, Matthew's gospel. So we can take from that that it's an issue that concerned our Lord. Hypocrisy is an issue that concerned him. So what does that mean? That it should concern us also. So in Matthew chapters, chapter 6, verse 1 to 18, Jesus is going to address three important aspects of uh, religious uh, expression for a Jew in the first century. And what were those aspects that we saw? He's going to touch on giving, prayer, and fasting. And as we go through God's word this morning, I think it will be clear uh, where the heart of Jesus' concern is. Because really, it's going to come down to the issue of motive. Motive. What are our motives? And here is the question that's going to kind of lay underneath and at the foundation of all that we are going to talk about today. And that question is, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? What moves us? What moves us to act and behave as we do, especially when it comes to matters of faith, especially when it comes to our walk with Christ, especially when it comes to spiritual things? What drives us? And we have to understand that a desire to get praise from people, that desire, that that longing to get the acceptance and praise of other people, that is an ever-present danger around us. once again, as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we come to this idea again that uh, what we're really talking about is a matter of the heart. What are our motives? Do we ever stop to ask that question? Do we need to be on guard about our motives? I think very much so, yes. Because if we live our Christian lives, if we live our lives, if we live our faith on Autopilot, we will have a tendency to veer into hypocrisy. If you look back at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. So let others see your good works. And now Jesus is going to take three of those you could call good works, right? Uh, giving, prayer, and fasting. He's going to address those. But what happens? What did we read? As Jesus talks about these good works, remember he said, "Show you know, let your light shine." And now when Jesus talks about these these types of good works. We have a bit of a surprise, a bit of a twist, concerning how we properly exercise these things. And that shouldn't surprise us now, right? Because we've already seen in the Sermon on the Mount that when it comes to the kingdom, that things are topsy-turvy, that they're unexpected, that they're upside down, that they're turned on their head. And this is no different here. There's a twist here when it comes to the expression of these good deeds. What does Jesus say? That we're supposed to do that, but... With no fanfare, as as it shouldn't be a show. That it can be best to practice these, to incorporate the practice of these in what in secret and privacy. That there is benefit in exercising in, in context these these disciplines in secrecy and privacy. Now. If you think about the audience that Jesus was talking to in the first century, the first century Hebrew ear, Jesus saying something like that, that better to do these things in secret or in private, the hearers that heard that on that day, that was no doubt doubt shocking to them. Why? Because for a first century Jew, public and visible displays of of religion were absolutely celebrated. They were celebrated. So for Jesus to say this, it is their ears are perking up. So we're going to take a look at at how Jesus uh, incorporates these these spiritual disciplines and how he talks about it. Giving, uh, prayer, and fasting. We'll start with giving. Uh, Jesus uh, talks about these in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 6. And really, we should start with the fact that we have to watch our motives. We have to watch our motives when we give. When it comes to giving, the Bible has a lot to say about giving. Um, You could call it the grace of giving. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul dedicates two chapters to this subject. in 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 and 9. And there you see four principles that are laid out when it comes to giving. And these four principles are very important to us here at this church. Because when we talk about giving in this church, these four principles are very important for how individuals um, and members of the body of Christ give into the church and give into needs. And how we as a church uh, take from what we have received and, and give in terms of need. So Paul, uh, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, there's four principles. And there we're told that we should give sacrificially, joyfully, freely, and thankfully. Sacrificially, joyfully, freely, and thankfully. And we could spend a lot of time just talking about that. But what we see in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus brings in two additional principles that we can talk about when it comes to exercising the grace of giving. The first principle is this, don't give seeking the praise of others. If you go back to chapter 5, verse 20, what did Jesus say? For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness that you express, right, that it needs to be an exceeding sort of righteousness. Now, in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus gives a warning about practicing that righteousness, that exceeding righteousness. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, you might think Jesus is contradicting himself, right? He said, let your light shine forth. Let your good works, let others see them. And now you may be saying, wait, he's saying, don't. Don't practice your righteousness What's Jesus saying? The, those last few words there are very important in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. To be seen by them. Those last words are important because they let us know how they don't contradict Jesus' words to say what? Let's like light shine before others because the issue is what is, is a what motive it comes back to motive when jesus says beware here the first word you see there as beware other translations might have it as be careful that construction of that word in the original language is a present imperative which means that it's a word of command that's calling for us to Continue to be aware, always be beware, always be careful, be in a continual state of carefulness. The command here is for constant vigilance and watchfulness regarding our motives when it comes to giving. And Jesus is teaching us that an important question needs to be continually present when we are engaging in. So that is that question. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing these good works? Is my motivation for doing good works like giving and praying and fasting? Is it, is it a desire to honor God and glorify my God? Or is my desire to gain some kind of approval from men, some kind of applause? from men and and we can be sure that if if it is the latter what does jesus say for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven and I i want you to hear me this morning when it comes to the things that you are striving after when it comes to the the goals that you have set in your life when it comes to the things that you are focusing on, and the things that you are pushing hard after, here is a principle that I want you to hear and take to heart, and that is that an earthly goal will get an earthly reward and nothing more. Earthly goal, earthly reward. As you strive toward that earthly goal, people may praise you, people may applaud you, people may shower you with words, people may pat you on the back, but your heavenly Father will not. In verses two to four, uh, Jesus illustrates his point with an example of, of giving. He says, thus when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Why? Why should we not do that? Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Earthly goal, earthly reward. And here's the thing, we we give up the reward from God so that we can have the applause of people. Now think about that with me for a moment this morning, seriously. What a horrible exchange. What a terrible trade. If we really stop to think about it. Will exchange the reward from God for the applause from people. It's a terrible exchange. And Jesus says here that when you give, when you give, you should not be shouting, "Hey, look at me!" Right? It's not an opportunity to you know to call 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 a press conference and be like, "Hey, look look what I'm doing." And really, in the era and time that we live in with social media, that this is such a uh, important, I think, guidance and idea. Because when you think about social media and all the good that, that could come from it, there is so much temptation that can come with it. Especially when you consider what Jesus is talking about here. When it comes to social media, social media it, it is a... a uh, incubator of discontent, and it is a breeding ground for self-exaltation. And the temptation is there that when we give that, hey, let me me find a way to, to spread this, to get this out there so people know what I've done. In verse three, Jesus goes on. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What an image that is. Essentially saying that don't don't celebrate your own personal acts of righteousness. And before going on, I think it, it might be important for us to examine and address that word, hypocrite. That word in the original language actually originally referred to a a play actor, an actor upon the stage. You can imagine a a theater actor on the stage in in the Greek or Roman theater. That was the original uh, uh, context of that word, and that word became uh, used frequently in Jewish writings in the Old Testament and the New Testament to begin speaking of the act of pretending. Pretending. And if you think about the, the these play actors in those ancient, ancient times, uh, I imagine they were not so different from uh, you know, our actors of the modern day, that they aspired to be What? Receive the adoration of the people. Receive the applause of the people. That they lived for the thrill of of, of what? A standing ovation of a prize, of an award for their, their essentially pretending. So the hypocrites that Jesus referred to are actually spiritual actors spiritual play actors pretending to have a certain sort of righteousness that they don't actually have with the purpose of what? Getting the applause from a human audience. It's interesting, when you look back at um, uh, ancient drama, uh, they didn't wear makeup uh, in order to assume the role that they were in. Rather, do you know what they would do? They would wear masks. They would wear masks that would represent the part that they played. Now, what a vivid picture that gives us of the hypocrite. The mask. He pretends to be one thing, but all the time, they are actually what? something completely different. And here's a charge to us this morning. Here's a charge to us this morning. Don't wear a mask when it comes to your faith. It might appear to have some sort of benefit to you, But there is something worth much more that you are actually losing. There is a better reward to gain apart from massed faith. So there's a second idea that Jesus talks about here when it comes to giving. And you see it in verses 1 and 4 with the focus on the Father, the heavenly Father. That if we shouldn't give for the applause of men, then why should we give? We should give seeking what? The pleasure of our Heavenly Father. And that's where our focus should be. That's where our attention should be. We seek his approval. No one else. We seek his pleasure and his pleasure alone. That the reward is with him. And going back, we've already spoken this morning much about the example of children. But uh, if you've been a child at any point, or you've had children at any point, you think about children, and they long for what do children long for with their parents? They just they want an approval from their mother or father. In the same way, we, as children of our heavenly Father, we should long only for the approval of our Father who is in heaven. So when we give, we can practice uh, giving in in a quiet manner, in, in secret. Why? Why are we able to do that? Because God sees what we give and that is enough. If somehow others do hear and see of my giving, what's the purpose? It's only to encourage them in faithfully stewarding what God has given them. Not to what? Not to prop me up. Not to exalt me or lift me up. When we give, what do we know? Our Father who sees in secret will reward us. But really, if you stop to think about it, what is the greatest reward? What is our greatest reward? Our greatest, most wonderful reward is the fact that we get God himself. And it's great to get a gift. You might get a gift, but it is better that we what? That we actually get the giver of the gift that we get him for all of eternity as our perfect heavenly father. That gift is more than enough. It exceeds everything else. So Jesus goes on into verses 5 to 8. And now we are encouraged, we are warned to watch our motives when you pray. It's within this passage here from um, verses 5 through 14 that we have uh, the Lord's Prayer here. And um, there's so much we can say about that. As I mentioned, we're going to actually begin a series on that starting next week. But here, Jesus moves the conversation from giving to a second spiritual discipline, prayer. prayer. Prayer in its simplest form. Most so basic sense is communing with God, conversing with God, and prayer is a child of God talking to His heavenly Father and listening to His Father by His Word that the Spirit of God illuminates to our minds. There's something important that we must come to grips with. And that is, in order to be like Jesus, and if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, and if we call ourselves citizens of the kingdom, this is an important thing that we must come to grips with. And that is the fact that if we are to be like Jesus, we must pray. We must pray. To help us become more like Jesus when we pray, our master here gives us some, some basic principles and guidelines here. So if you look in verse 5, the first is pray sincerely, pray sincerely to your Heavenly Father. So the first thing is that Jesus expects prayer to be what? A, a regular habit in the life of his disciples. If you look at verse 5, what does it say? And when you pray, what does it not say? If you pray. okay. So we have to start there. When you pray. The idea is that you will pray. Now, Jesus follows this statement with a similar, with a uh, familiar warning here. He says what? That you must not be like the hypocrites in prayer. That don't pretend to be what you're not. Don't put on a show. That a hypocrite would love to flaunt their false spirituality. What does Jesus say? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others. Right? Again, what is the motive? What are they looking for? They're looking for the praise of people. This is the reward that they, that they want. And Jesus says, this is the reward that they receive. They want that and they get that. And it's this idea that a hypocrite is not sincere when they pray. They pray for show. Now, here's a question that we're examine ourselves me, <coughs> in regards to our prayer. So we can decipher whether we're Praying hypocritically. And here's that question. Do you pray markedly differently in front of others than you do in private? Is there a difference? It's a question we can ask. It's a question we should ask as we examine ourselves. If we look at verse 6, here's a second idea around prayer. Um, Jesus talks about praying secretly to your Heavenly Father. Now, it's important here that we understand that nowhere in the Bible, or nowhere do we see Jesus condemn public prayer. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Public prayer is not condemned. It is practiced throughout the Bible. It is actually commanded as a vital component of corporate worship. It's why we pray when we come here together on Sunday. What Jesus is talking about here is doing it as just, it's just a mere formality, to just check the box, or as mere ritual. This is what Jesus is soundly condemning in what he's talking about here. Here's another idea. Public, corporate prayer cannot substitute for private, individual prayer. It cannot replace it in any way, shape, or form. And here's the pattern that Jesus sort of gives us when it comes to prayer. He says, first when you pray, find a private place. Go into your private room and shut your door. Then he goes on to say, Seek out the Father who is in heaven. Seek out the Father who is in heaven. Now I'm sure if you go into your your room and shut the door and go into your private place, and if you're seeking the Father, guess what? There is no need to make a show in your prayer closet, if you will, right? Is there any need to make some sort of extravagant show? No. No. Pray to your heavenly Father, who is in secret, that this is a a, a a private affair here between us and our Father, who is in heaven. Now, notice the repetition of this word uh, "secret" here. Right, you see this idea in verse four and verse six. Um, you see it again in verse eighteen. This word "secret" kind of pops up, and the fact that this word creeps up again, and again, I think is important because. Our Savior is trying to help us understand that who we are in private is a window into who we truly are. And we've got many questions for us this morning to ask ourselves as we examine ourselves. And here's one more Who are you? Who are you? When only God is watching? What are you like when only God is watching? These are questions that are meant to search our soul. These are soul searching questions. And Jesus concludes verse 6 the same way he concludes verse 4. In giving, what does he say? And your Father who sees you in secret will reward. You. A hypocrite prays to get what? Just approval of men. The praise of men. A human audience. But a true disciple prays for the approval of a heavenly audience. The approval and pleasure of the Father is all he needs, it is all that he wants if you come to verses 7 and 8, Jesus goes on to talk about praying specifically to your Heavenly Father. And again, Jesus is condemning speaking senselessly, speaking mindlessly, just saying words for the sake of saying words, just uh, reciting again and again and again, right? There's this comparison here that this was the way, the form, the fashion, that the pagan people at the time of worship. That as they prayed to their senseless idols, that their prayer actually mimicked that and sounded senseless and without purpose and thoughtless and just repetitive and wrote incantation over and over and over again. And, you know, as you think about your own Prayer life and how you pray. Um, I think sometimes there's an anxiousness that can pop up when when you pray. Um, if you've ever struggled with with prayer in your own life, um, and here's one thing I, I will say to you. I think it kind of ties into what Jesus is saying about this rote uh, repetition and incantation, and and um, you know it's just this idea just to, to slow down. That you can slow down when you pray. And when you think about Jesus, how do you think about Je- when you think about Jesus? How do you think about Jesus in relation to prayer? What do you think about prayer in relation to Jesus? If you look throughout Scripture, you can clearly see that Jesus was devoted to prayer. And if you look at the prayers of Christ that we find in the Gospels, his prayers are not some memorized thing that he recites at at a certain time in a certain place, if you look at the prayers of Christ, they they were intensely personal. Oftentimes they were spontaneous. And always, and always, they were an expression of his deep communion with his Father. Therefore, what what does Jesus say here? And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Different translations will say, when you pray, don't babble, or will say, use vain repetitions. Jesus is saying, don't pray like the the pagan people that you see around you, right? All those other people of that time place, the other religions who would have their, again, their senseless idol. They were praying senselessly to a senseless idol. He says, don't speak nonsense over and over. And the other thing, many words do not equal a sincere prayer. That there's not somehow extra credit for the amount of words that you can utter and get out in a prayer, that you can slow down. Your volume of words are, is not going to enhance your prayer. Because God cannot be manipulated by you pounding him with repetitiveness. God can't be manipulated in, in prayer that way. So Jesus Says, don't be like them because your heavenly father is not like these senseless idols that you are praying to, who are really not gods at all. Jesus is really making a distinction between these, these idols that these other people are worshiping and the tr- one true God, the Father. Because what do we know about God? He is omnipresent, he is omnipotent, he is an, he is an omniscient father. And hear me, it says, knows the things you need before you ask him. That he is aware of your need. That he is attentive to your needs. Isaiah 65, verse 24. I think is a beautiful compliment to what Jesus said as a promise in verse 8. Isaiah 65, 24 says, Even before they call, I will answer them. While they are still speaking, I will hear. That's remarkable. Even before they call, before they call, The call to us here this morning is talk to God. Talk to God then like a child would talk to a loving parent. Talk to him like the perfect heavenly father who loves you with a perfect heavenly love and concern. That's what our prayers should look like. Not just corporately, not just publicly, but privately. Pray to him. Pray to him as though he is there. Why? Because he is there. Pray to him as though he is ready. Why? Because he is ready. Pray to him as though he is willing. Why? Because he is willing. Pray to him as though he is able. Why? Because he is able. Pray to him. So that's where we go into verse 16. And we come now to watching our motives while Fasting. Now, fasting is an interesting spiritual discipline. It's one that um, is seldom talked about, especially here in Western Christianity, and that uh, even fewer practice um, in some sort of regular fashion as as opposed to some sort of spontaneous uh, fashion when it comes to uh, fasting. However, it's interesting that if you look at what, what the Bible, that the Bible Addresses fast fasting in addresses that subject in numerous places. So what does the Bible say about fasting? What does the, what does the Bible look at as fasting? So fasting consists of abstaining or refraining um, from eating, drinking, or even marital union, right, between husband and wife for a specific defined purpose. That's how fasting is described in scripture. And those purposes for refraining from those things are for the purposes of prayer, spiritual devotion, mourning, grief, and repentance. So fasting, it can be it can be a corporate thing, right? It can be something that is done in a corporate way. Fasting can also be uh, an individual thing as well. If you look at the Old Testament, uh, specifically, self-denial or fasting was required by the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement, that they were required to fast. And when you look at the Old Testament, you look at how the prophets talked about fasting, it's interesting. They all condemned hypocrisy in fasting. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, You see that there is a condemnation of being hypocritical when fasting. So Jesus, as he talks about what he talks about, he's really lining up with exactly the feeling of the Old Testament as he comes to talk about this. And Jesus is going to talk about fasting in the same way that how he addresses uh, giving and prayer. Right? If you look at each section, it opens with what? When you give. When you pray, and now he's going to say, beginning in verse 16, when you fast, whenever you fast. So the instructions are, are, but it looks very similar to what we already talked about. Don't draw yourself, attention to yourself while you fast. So uh, I think it's an encouragement to all of us here, right, that if it's not a spiritual discipline that you have normally exercised in your life, that we have a, an opportunity To maybe incorporate that as a spiritual discipline into our lives. But we have to be careful because there is a warning that comes along with that. He warns us not to be gloomy like the hypocrites when we do. You see that word gloomy in there? That could be translated as also be translated as sad face. So what does Jesus say that, that these um, that these gloomy actors do? Again, right? They are hypocrites, right? So what, what does Jesus say that these actors do? It's very interesting. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. <coughs> that is remarkable to think, right? But this is what the temptation is when we try to express our righteousness, that if we're not on guard, we can take anything and twist it into hypocrisy. (laughs) So what Jesus is talking about is that in that time that people, when they would fast, they would go out of their way to make their faces look so noticeable that someone would come and be like, ah, Fasting, huh? They go, yeah, fasting. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable to think. It's silly to almost think about, but it's not silly because this is where our hearts go if we are not on guard about hypocrisy, right? They're fasting to make a show for men. Their interest is in the approval of men, not the approval of God. And again, Jesus says that they want a reward, and they get that reward. Again, earthly goal, earthly reward. Heavenly goal, heavenly reward. And the idea is that, that the way that they are twisting fasting and being deceptive about it, um, the people can't tell, right? The people look at them and go, ooh, man, they are really They are really getting into it with this fasting thing. People can't perceive it. What about God? God sees through it, God sees it clear as day. See, God sees beyond the externals, He sees beyond the actions, and He sees in the heart. They get what they desire. That temporary fleeting praise, they get it. If your motives for your works are are just that, you'll, you'll get it. You'll get that temporary praise. But what they don't have is that eternal enduring pleasure of the heavenly Father. That is not theirs. Jesus goes on to say, that the ultimate audience, when it comes to practicing spiritual discipline, is God. It's not man. So Jesus says that when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Now you might say, well, what, "What is what does this mean?" Right? Uh, basically, Jesus is saying, "Yeah, you don't you don't need to disfigure your face. You don't need to crunch down and, and make yourself look." He's saying, "Listen, when you fast, act normal." That's what he's actually saying. That doesn't seem like that to us, but if you think about a Middle Eastern climate, what is it? Hot and extremely dry, right? Just going to make your skin super dry. So Jesus says, "Hey, do what you normally would do. Take care of yourself the way you normally take care of yourself. Wash your face, do all that stuff." Why? In verse eighteen, he says. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Isn't that remarkable? That our God is invisible, that he is spirit. And me this morning, you may not see him with your physical eyes, but know that he certainly sees you. And we can never forget that he sees everything and that is his opinion that matters most. And the Lord's promise to us all is that your Father who sees it secret will reward you. The Father in heaven who sees the silent gift. The Father in heaven who sees the private prayer. The Father in heaven who sees the unnoticed fast will bless you. Now his reward may not come in the immediate fashion that the applause of men comes, but his reward might come later, but it will be so much better. That when you are in a relationship with Jesus as his disciple, that there is a fullness of life that you have now, but when you join him in eternity with your heavenly father, We can only imagine the fullness of life that will be. So as we come to a close this morning, when you think about these spiritual disciplines that we talked about, giving, praying, fasting, the first place we must start is that there's an expectation that as Jesus' disciples that we will be doing these things. Step one is to examine our lives. If, if these disciplines aren't present in our life in some sort of way, we need to examine our lives and, and think about how we can incorporate them. But as we go beyond that, we must understand that these disciplines should not play before an audience of many people, that they should be before an audience of one, our Heavenly Father. He sees every action and knows every, hear me this morning, he knows every motivation of your heart. And he and he alone is the one we should concern ourselves with. That he is the one that we should seek to please. As we are here on this week after Easter, if we look back as we had celebrated this past week, that this was Jesus' way. This was the way of Christ. Think about how he made his way to the cross. He made his way to the cross. For who? For the salvation of who? Hypocritical sinners like me and you. that Jesus clearly understood that all that matters in life is that we please God. And our prayer should be that our Heavenly Father had grace and mercy that he would help us learn this way of Jesus. Because really it's the difference between pleasing people and pleasing God. It's all going to come back to examining our motives. You cannot live a Christian life on autopilot. We must be examining our motives, asking the question, why am I doing what I am doing? If there's any disconnect there, we must, we must, we must come before it. In repentance. See, if we really see our problem, if we're able to stop and ask those questions, and we're able to see our problem, our our tendency to to veer towards hypocrisy, if we can see it in all of its horror, then we are in a position to receive grace. Then we are in a prime position to receive grace. So what must we do? First, we must start with honesty. Honesty with ourselves. Honesty with the Lord. And second, we must remember that God sees all. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, If I make my way to the heavens, you are there. If I make my way, my bed in the depths, you are there. He sees and knows all. He knows the words that are just beginning to form on our lips.
1: And the attitude
0: of our hearts each day should be bent towards a prayer that sounds something like this. God, because you know all things, because you know my motivations, God, help me to live my life for you. Help me to live my life so that Christ would be at the center of my life. Motivations. reminded of a centuries old prayer. That. Sheds some light on that. And having Christ at. The center. Of our motivations. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. And Christ in the ear that hears me. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.